You know, when you think about all the creatures and monsters that we know from horror flicks, zombies, vampires, laboratory freaks, demons, elves, ghosts, centaurs, fairies, unicorns, werewolves, giant lizards, leprechauns, genies, dragons, cenobites, slime glop, all the wolf dogs. You know, the most reasonable one, the one we think might just be out there, is the Bigfoot, sometimes called the Yeti, the Yowie, the Nukluk, the Momo, the Swamp Ape, the Skunk Ape, the Cryptozoological Wilderness Inhabitant. Might be a man that looks like an animal, might be an animal that looks like a man, might be half animal, half man, might be a mutant, might be some hairy thing that happened when two forest creatures had sex that shouldn't have been having sex, like when a donkey has sex with a horse, you know, creating a mule. That's why when you have a movie about one of these guys, it can be scarier than a movie about eyeball-eating she-demons because, hell, this might be a documentary, especially if it's made in Arkansas, where some of the backwoods people look like they might be part wild man themselves, especially if it's made with a 35-millimeter rebuilt camera mounted on the bow of a bass boat that's tracking through the Sulphur River bottomlands where water moccasins sometimes drop down onto the back of your neck. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the legend of Boggy Creek. It doesn't say based on a true story. It doesn't say adapted from the folk tales of southwestern Arkansas. It says right up front, this is a true story. And then they use the actual people who encountered the monster to play themselves in the movie. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the missing link himself, Peter Gogic. Yes, the missing link who does his laundry. I just got back from the laundromat. There hey. were many, many Peter Gogic uh, sightings. I saw Peter Gogic at my McDonald's. I saw Peter Gogic at the local laundromat. He was folding laundry like a pussy. <laughs> And Cecil won't be joining us tonight. The way he put it was a slight but not that emergency emergency come up. So, hey, real life comes first. So It's enough of an emergency to, to miss the show. So it so, was a valid, a much, I mean, this is the, this is important. This is work. This is real work. Sure. You know, you got, you got to book time off. You got to call in sick. Like this is, this is some real heavy duty shit we're doing. Sure. <laughs> On that note, what you guys need to do, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. We'll also remind you about the Patreon page where everybody who's listening to this episode right now donates $1 a month. We can actually get good equipment. Imagine a that. Buck. Just a buck. Yes, a buck. That's a soda at the McDonald's you, spot, you spotted Peter Gajic at. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about, Peter wanted to talk about this tonight. He specifically wanted to talk about Bigfoot movies. and that Which we, in itself, I think, would, would fill an episode. We're going to. But I actually thought, wouldn't it be more interesting to just talk cryptid movies? Which a lot of people don't understand that word. Cryptid is described as a creature or species that either existed or is unconfirmed to exist. Like mm. Big Feet. I'm I'm assuming the plural would be big feet. Bigfoot sounds big weird, you know. Jersey Jersey Devil, Mothman, the, the Mothman, mermaids, the Loch Ness monster, megalodon, Yetis. sharks. Yes, yeah. So things that we can't confirm still exist, or maybe we don't know if ever existed. And there's a lot of movies about this, and we'll have an interview mm -hmm. by I, I would call him an expert, Stephen Bissett. He wrote a book called Cryptid Cinema. And it's hmm. pretty well researched, so I'm going to call him an expert. We'll talk to him later. But why did you want to talk about Big Feet? 
I just, I like Big Feet movies. Even, it, it doesn't matter whether it looks bad or good to me. I just, I have an interest in it. I think, I think I've always had kind of a fascination with the, just the overall lore surrounding Bigfoot. And I think, uh, part of me kind of believes that it's real too. It, it's one of those little, um, out of all the conspiracy theories and urban legends and stuff that are out there, the, the one that I believe is Bigfoot. I, I'd like to think that there is a Bigfoot or family of Big Feet living out somewhere in the mountains. I just, I find that, uh, I find that very intriguing see after i played red dead redemption undead nightmare that's probably what happened i don't know if you've ever played that game there's a heartbreaking side mission in that where you're supposed to hunt down bigfoots big feats (laughs) the last one when you you wound it and it's sitting there crying screaming at you about how you just destroyed its family and made its species go extinct and you it begs you to put it out of its misery and you go well that's a fucking bummer (laughs) this is supposed to be a fun zombie in the old west game and then you bum me out with this and then just make it heavy yeah well and that mission is called the birth of the conservation movement so they were definitely trying to tell you something there (laughs) yes we have to talk about what is not only the first technical breakthrough for bigfoot movies but probably the most oddly recognizable, 1972's The Legend of Boggy Creek. And that's one, uh, not even yes. technically a Bigfoot. It's the folk monster. So it's not even, they, they never call it a Bigfoot. It's the folk monster. But come on, if you've seen the movie, it's a Bigfoot. It's very obvious that it's meant to be Bigfoot. I haven't seen that one in a while, but I remember the last 20 minutes or so being extremely creepy. Like it takes a total left turn. Yeah, because it's done... Now, I'm going to put the word documentary in quotes because this is stuff that nobody can prove actually happened, but director Charles B. Pierce, and Stephen Bissett will explain this more later, wanted this to be a documentary. And he got a lot of the people who claimed they saw the folk monster to play themselves in it and whatnot. It's it's like this weird backwoods reality show for the first hour that occasionally has Mm -hmm. a monster show up. And then, yeah, then, then it turns into an actual monster movie movie in the third act. I'm, no, Legend of Boggy Creek is a is a great one to to check out. Even if you're just looking to check out this this sort of stuff, it's it's sort of a good like launching point. When you say Bigfoot, what a lot of people, and I'm not talking necessarily people who listen to this show, but you're like a mainstream audience, they're immediately going to go like Harry and the Hendersons. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, but that's not really the best representation. It's kind of a that that would be like a cute version of Bigfoot. Yeah, and I, I've personally never liked that movie, but you know, to each. I think it's fun just to watch it as like uh kind of knowing that it's Kevin Peter Hall makes it sort of fun. Okay. What about something like do you consider Yetis to be just snowbound big feet? Or do you think a Yeti yes, is something else? Well, they I think they fit into the category of, of big feet. Like you've got you got the Sasquatch, you got the Bigfoot, you've got the Yeti. They're all sort of like mountain dwelling creatures that are a cross between like, you know, cavemen and apes and man all kind of combine this like weird throwback thing. So I do think a Yeti counts. No, I, I, I'm not disagreeing that it counts. I'm saying, do you think that's just a snowbound version or do you think a Yeti is actually like a different kind of creature than like what we would think of as a Bigfoot from Montana? No, I think it's, it's kind of just a snowbound version, sort of the way like, you know, like polar bears and grizzly bears. It's just, it's the type of, of big foot of its location okay fair enough i do want to say when we're talking cryptids nothing that is mutated or literal supernatural and by that i mean like nothing conjured up not 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 a a demon is not a cryptid i've seen a lot of cryptids lists that include like prophecy the 1979 john frankenheimer movie and i'm like no that was actually a demon so that that doesn't count others list like alligator the 1980 john sales written film and it's like no that was a mutation tarantula some of the old you know the the giant mantis and stuff these are well these are more like like creature features right but but i see these on a lot of cryptids lists and it's like no these are mutation these are demons Mm -hmm. these cryptid is something that just existed in nature whether we can prove it or not what about um what about something like demon warp where the idea is that bigfoot was like an alien all along no. That would be the same thing with, like, Time Walker, where it's a mummy movie that all of a sudden takes a sci-fi twist in the last ten minutes. <laughs> but, like, even right on that line would be The Mothman, 
Because some people yeah. call it supernatural, some think it might be an alien. I don't know, the Mothman, I would say, is a cryptid. Well, he is, because I think what makes this count is if it was in, like, an urban urban legend or urban myth at some point, which the Mothman definitely is, the Jersey Devil definitely is, and, and those ones kind of have some supernatural connotations to them. Obviously, there's there's also the Chupacabra, which, which people either consider to be some weird, unevolved creature, possibly possibly an alien, possibly a demon. Like, there's all sorts of, of different stories ranging to different backgrounds of, of people that have supposedly seen it. But it's still a cryptoid or whatever. It's still um, an urban myth or an urban legend that's been passed down from generation to generation. What about something like, you know, along with Harry and the Hendersons, something very family-friendly like Splash, Tom Hanks' Daryl Hannah movie. She's a mermaid. Oh Mermaids are cryptids. Yeah, so sure. Splash is a cryptid movie if you really think about it. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess uh, Little Mermaid would be too. Exactly. Okay. How about this one? What about now? I'm going to leave the original out of this, but the 1982 Paul Schrader Cat People. Mm. I would say that would that Maybe. would be that would be a cryptid film. I, I do think it would be. I mean, it's people. It's been a while since I've seen that one, but people can like turn into like cat creatures, yes. right? But but they're like a so long like lost race that's hidden and whatnot. So I'm going, yeah, that that does exist. That does count. Sure, in a weird kind of way, yeah, it's you could say it does. Okay, what about really stretching the term? Because like I said, the definition is a disputed species. What about mm. vampires and werewolves? Well, werewolves are interesting because. And both vampires, because these were also urban legends and urban myths for the long, longest time, too. Like, in the paraphrasing at best here, because it's been a while since I've actually dug up this stuff and read about it, but vampires have a very interesting lore. I mean, this is something that goes back long before cinema ever did it, long before there were ever, you know, Bram Stoker's stories and other short stories by different authors. Um, you actually had people living on farmland over in uh, former Yugoslavia, actually, talking about animals that have had had the blood drained out of them and things like that and urban urban myths of people returning from the dead to uh, get vengeance on their towns there's even a name that goes along with it and this is the the, the vampire name Peter Blagovich yes the first the first dated vampire in like written urban myth history so you could consider vampires to be part of that because at some point they were an urban lore urban legend kind of thing and it was it was derived from that that's where they got the ideas for all these different things like Vlad the Impaler and Nosferatu and Dracula and stuff they were all derived from these little farmland stories of of what might have been somebody who came back from the dead to get revenge on his village and drink the blood from pigs and cows and shit. What about werewolves, though? You know what? What I've always thought is that werewolves could could be Bigfoot because you you have this. Maybe when people have seen the sightings of Bigfoot, they actually saw somebody in werewolf mode. But that might not make sense because the the earliest footage of Bigfoot was in the daytime. But maybe the full moon thing is just doesn't actually matter. They could just turn into their wolf beast altered beast state. Uh, whenever they want well, to. Well, the, the original legends were more, cause it, the, the whole full moon thing was literally added by Universal Pictures. The screenwriters for that yes. added that. Just kind yeah, of an yeah. aesthetic yeah, yeah. sort of choice. Th that was not part of any of the legends prior to the Wolfman. Well, lycanthropy in itself is just kind of, it's metamorphosis. Yeah. Someone like turning into this, this other thing, thing. through. Yeah. It's, it can either be something they can control or it's something from like their, their emotions running wild and they become something else. Okay. What what about this one? What about something like the Crater Lake monster, where it's it's an actual dinosaur mm. from an unhatched preserved egg that a meteorite superheats and wakes up? Dinosaur would kind of be well, a yeah, cryptid. That's, that's kind of like like the that'd be sort of like Nessie, isn't it? I mean, the Loch Ness. The whole the whole thing behind that is that people think it's like an ancient like leftover dinosaur that somehow still managed to uh, survive and and keep its species going. Like, that's pretty much what Loch Ness is, isn't it? It even kind of, the artist depictions of it looks like a, like a brontosaurus or, or something, something like that. It, it looks, it looks more like a plesiosaur, really. Yeah, it looks like some sort of dinosaur. Yeah. So, so I think, I think that would fit, yeah. What about right now in, in theaters, we've got Meg. Cause, I mean, Meg's the, we know. Megalodon, yeah. That's, that's a big Literally. one. Literally. Literally a big one. A huge, huge fucking shark. Which, which is quite possibly one of the most terrifying, terrifying things to, to try to behold in your mind is a, a, a shark that's bigger than your average big shark. 
Megs we do know did exist. We know they, that that they used At some to. point, yeah. And it's there are still theories of how they might exist, and I think that's what in '97. Well, the, the thing is, is that we we haven't reached the all the way to the bottom of the ocean's depths. I mean, we don't actually know exactly what's what's all the way under there. Like, there's so much unexplored territory down there. I mean, there's there's the whole idea that there's, like, giant squids and stuff, so we never know. Right, so that's why Meg is sort of a cryptid film, although Meg is also a bad film. So, okay, what's the difference between, then, a Yeti and a Wendigo? Well, those are two two completely... Different things, aren't they? I've always thought a, a Wendigo was basically a Yeti. I mean, it, it, I, I haven't it, studied it, kind it of is, but... but it also has, from what I remember, from what I read about the the Wendigo, it has like supernatural connotations to it. Like, is isn't it something that's that's summoned? I'm not sure. Like I said, th- that's not one that I studied too well. It is kind of its own thing, though. Like, because because there there are urban myths of Wendigos and Bigfeet. Like, there's two different lures that that surround them. And and a Wendigo is supposed to be this weird, like it's like half man, half deer, half bear. Like, it's this. It's meant to be like a, a weird cross of everything else. That's that's kind of not really from our plane of of reality. Okay. What about now? You remember there there the these photos that that have been around that whether they're accurate or not that's debatable these photos from you know ye olde time explorer days like i think it was one from like 1903 or something like that of like this the missing link basically a a race of Mm. human-like monkey men you know people like troglodytes no they they looked more like monkeys but they were the size of men they had the and you know they had Hmm. thumbs and everything and you you saw these with like a lot of african explorers and you know they would take the photographs and whether they're real or not that's debatable and you you look at something like that and you're like is that sort of a bigfoot kind of thing like hey there's this missing link creature in the in the jungle because like uh, you ever see the 1970 movie Skullduggery? Not, not, not the fantasy one, but the 1971 with Burt Reynolds? Mm, I haven't seen either of them. Basically, uh, you know, we start exploring Africa, we find this race of kind of monkey people, and the, the whole thing, the whole debate comes down to one of us, a, a human, you know, a person has sex with a female one of them, is that now changing species? Is that interspecies rape or is that like raping a toaster? Because the whole, there's actually a legal debate in the movie about whether these things can be considered human. No, that's, um, I think that's, that's absolutely kind of in the same, same tone as something like Bigfoot because Bigfoot has even been referred to as like the missing link, like this weird stage of evolution that was either skipped over or never, never evolved or maybe evolved more. And he is kind of thought to be like a half half monkey, half man kind of thing. So I think that counts. What about George Easton in 2019 after the fall of New York? Well, that is Bigfoot. That's the real Bigfoot. Not many people know this, but George Eastman is Bigfoot. I knew it. That son of a bitch. I knew that. Well, what Italian do you know that's like And that Harry. I, you know what? I, I, I actually and think... And that Harry. Yeah, he's not I Italian. actually think he's they Bigfoot. didn't have... He's been disguising himself as a really tall Italian his entire career, but it's Yeah, I actually, actually think Bigfoot. for that movie, they didn't add hair to him. They just told him to stop shaving it off for a couple of months. I think so, yeah. That's just him, like, ungroomed. <laughs> when, when it comes to, like, a cryptid movie, which kind do you prefer? The serious horror movie or the more lighthearted? Because, like, Bigfoot, for every serious, you know, he'll tear your arm off and beat you to death with it movie, there's a kid's film about Bigfoot. Or there's a lighthearted yeah. family adventure about Bigfoot. Oh, it's weird. It's so weird that there's, um... There's like no middle ground. It's, it's true. It's, there's either like the gory horror film or there's the kids version. I have to say I prefer more of the horror ones because I, I kind of, I prefer Bigfoot to be scary. I don't, I don't know why I want it to be that way. I think it just makes a really good movie. Like I definitely prefer the ones that are more like, um, well, well Legend of Boggy Creek is a great example because it, it mixes like documentary with, with movie style, which works really well because obviously there's that, the famous thought to be footage of, of Bigfoot. You, you're talking about about the, the the Patterson Gremlin film of the, the the Bigfoot walking and the shaky footage from '67. Yeah, yeah, which which I think has been proven to be fake. But like it's a long still a ago, creepy, it's still interesting video. It really is. It is. So oh, yeah. remember how in the Patterson Gremlin film, the way it walks is this kind of unnatural, like long gait. 
Did mm-hmm. you ever notice that that, yeah. that the creature in signs, the alien that steps out from like it's Brazil, like it's behind, is patterned after that? That just mm. oh, that that that's always been so creepy. Just the way it moves, whether they faked it or not, it's, no, it's creepy. Great. There's um there's two that uh, I've watched. Well, one I watched again and one I watched for the first time. One that I find really, really fun that could have been better, like and this is going along more of the horror movie kind of Bigfoot movies, is, um, well, there's the sci-fi original film uh, Abominable. Could have been better, but it's still a fun Bigfoot movie with, I mean, the Bigfoot himself looks looks really cool in that one. Like, it's it's like a mix between animatronic and guy in suit. There's some decent, decent gore, but it kind of turns into your average slasher film. You know, as soon as the vacationing chicks show up to live next door to Lloyd Braun, the movie kind of falls apart, even though there is a fun performance from Lance Henriksen that's like, lasts like 15 minutes. One that I really liked that just came out, I think, either at the tail end of last year or at the very beginning of this year is Bigend. And that one I'm kind sure of handles the, it's almost like Predator, but with Bigfoot. Like it's a guy that's um, girlfriend or whatever gets gets eaten by Bigfoot and then he kind of loses his mind, goes to a goes to a psychiatrist for for a while and then has to go face his demons and he decides to go back into those woods and and see what happens and obviously runs and in, runs into Bigfoot and it becomes like a survival horror kind of thing. But it's actually it's done well and I enjoyed it because it didn't play itself with any irony. Like it played itself dead straight. It didn't care how cheesy or hokey the premise might have been it was a dead straight sort of movie it, it felt like watching like an 80s movie which which I, I found really cool 2018 it's from from this year and lance henriksen also shows up in this one he, he seems to like showing up in bigfoot shit. he also showed up in one i've got called sasquatch yes, yes, with he's him also and andrea roth i've seen him in that too yes sasquatch was fun too because i had a kid in the 90s i remember watching a lot of scooby-doo with him mm. scooby-doo had Bigfoots, Yetis, and Wendigos a lot. They did. And I always kind of enjoyed that. Those were always fun. Maybe I'm an idiot. (laughs) I always thought the Scooby-Doo Bigfoot stuff was fun. I'm sorry. No, no, it was. It absolutely so, was. I think what, any, anything to do with, with Bigfoot I find really enjoyable. And while I may not like the, the kids stuff, it's not really my bag, I'll still put on Harry and the Hendersons. I don't care. It's, it's, it's a Bigfoot thing. There, there's other ones I watch that are like sort of mockumentaries. Um, let me see if I can remember what this one was called. I think it was called Willow Creek from 2013. And this one is like a straight up sort of mockumentary thing about this couple that go that go on like a road trip to the original area where the where the where, where that original footage was shot and and they go to ask the locals and ask them about the lore and see if they can end up finding Bigfoot and it, that one had um a weird but interesting ending to it like it played itself sort of like it, it's 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 half half found footage half mockumentary but um I I, I enjoyed that one for what it was. So, so I think Bigfoot really works in a lot of a lot of different ways. Like you can either go mockumentary found footage with it quite well. You can go horror slasher or action with it really well. And and it even caters to kids for some reason. For some reason, kids find Bigfoot to be really cute and cuddly. Bigfoot is just all around really marketable for some reason. Hell, the Mummy franchise brought Big Feet into the third movie. Remember? That's right. Who who somehow know football lingo from America? <laughs> <laughs> because why the f*** wouldn't they, right? Well, yeah. I'm, I'm also sorry, pretty the, sure the, Chewbacca is meant to be some sort of big feet. He looks like a big feet. One of my favorite cryptids is one that's generally not listed as a cryptid movie, and that's the original 50s Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely a cryptid movie. It is. It's like a and, weird throwback fishman thing. It's kind of a well, mix personally, of, of like Bigfoot and Loch Ness and, and kind of all of them. Well, I, I mean, even the, you know, the Oscar winner from last year, Shape of Water. While I had lots of problems with the script in that movie, that's a cryptid. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could even say not Hellboy himself, but Abe Sapien is very much hinted at being some sort of a cryptid in the yeah. Hellboy movies. A weird, weird fish man. That's, that's kind of of his own weird geno species kind of thing. No, no, personally, I'm going to go back to Creature from the Black Lagoon. I think that is an amazing movie. Oh, it still holds up. Oh, without a doubt. Gorgeous gorgeous cinematography, great directing by Jack Arnold. Still one of the best uh, monster suits, too. Well, and and weirdly, that one is so... Because, you know, when we think of the Universal Monsters, there's, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, Hmm. etc. And they're all from the 1930s. 
and then Creature wasn't until the 1950s. So it's weird that he's always lumped in with them, but there's like a 20-year gap between those (laughs) movies. Oh, yeah. I've always found that kind of weird. But also, I still think it's a fantastic movie. The sequels, not so much, maybe. The but sequels I still do looked think... uh, cheaper than, than the first one did. Well, they also went into weird directions, too. They did, yeah. You know, they went into some really weird directions. <laughs> when it comes to cryptid cinema, why do you think, not just Bigfoot or the Abominable Snowman or whatever you want to call it specifically, but that one more than any other, why do we keep making these movies? Why every year there's a there's maybe a, a half a dozen to a dozen, if you count direct-to-video TV movies, of some sort of a Bigfoot or a Mothman or a Loch Ness. Or, I mean, Christ, there's dozens of Loch Ness movies, hundreds of movies. I'm going to count Yetis, Abominable Snowmen, Wendigos, and Bigfoot all as the same type of mm-hmm. creature. There are hundreds from just the last decade. Why do we keep going back to these, Pete? I think people just have a fascination with it, with, with the whole urban myth, urban lore aspect of it. I think people, in a way, want to believe that this is real because it really is interesting to think that, you know, we, we have animal, we have human, but what about something that's that's in between? You know, that's both interesting and it's scary at the same time, which I think really makes makes for good movie material. And I think that's why people keep going to see it. It's this continuing fascination with, I guess you could say it, with the unknown. And not even just the unknown of of space, but the unknown of our own world. You know, things that we haven't explored yet on our own planet. I mean, we, we, make, we have all these science fiction movies out there, like interstellar space travel and stuff, but how much of the world have we really seen? We haven't seen the bottom of the ocean. We haven't seen the deepest parts of the wilderness either, or, or the jungles. So there's a lot that can still be explored, and a lot of speculation and, and theories that can still be made about creatures that we've never seen before. Well, on that note, we're going to take a little break here, Pete and I, and you guys listened to an interview I did earlier this week with Stephen Bissett. You might not, you might know Stephen Bissett best from working with Alan Moore and John Tolibon on Swamp Thing. He co-created John Constantine, things like that. But he is also a huge cryptid fan. Like I said, he wrote a book called Cryptid Cinema. Listen to Stephen Bissett, and then Pete and I will be back. Stephen, you could be considered an expert. I would, I would say that's not unfair on cryptid cinema, correct? Well, I would defer to Dave Coleman, who did the the Bigfoot filmography book, as being uh, the real expert on the genre. I'm exploring it. I'll definitely say that I am exploring it now. What drew you to it? Was it films you saw as a kid, or was this more of like once you were an adult, a family man, you caught like Legend of Boggy Creek on TV late one night? Oh, no, 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 no. I've been watching this all my life. No, no. I've been watching them all my life. In fact, I'm 63 now, so I'm the generation that first saw Legend of Boggy Creek when it was brand new. I had just gotten my driver's license. Go to the theater and see whatever I wanted to, and I will never forget. (laughs) <laughs> seeing Legend of Boggy Creek in the in the cinema. Now, see, I always caught Legend of Boggy Creek on late night television. I I'm I'm trying to picture in my head what that was like seeing it in the theater without having heard about it previously. You know. Well, it was it was an interesting time. Uh, in fact, I I just put to bed text. We're just starting work on the design of the book. I I just put to bed uh, the writing of what will be the second uh, volume in Cryptid Cinema, and it's uh, entitled Cryptid Cinema, The Boggy Creek Bequest. And what I trace in there is where the legend of Boggy Creek came from. You know, it it didn't really come from nowhere. Uh, The fact of the matter is uh, there were two parallel tracks in what was happening in American films at the time that sort of came together with The Legend of Boggy Creek. The one that interests people like you and me are these weird regional monster movies that started being produced in the in the late 50s. And in the 1960s, they kind of coalesced around a movement in the southern states, the beginning of what became a regional film industry, although in the 60s it wasn't quite that yet. And what I mean is Ron and June Ormond, who in the 50s had made exploitation films like, you know, the 
guerrilla and women miscegenation movie, Untamed Mistress, and Lash LaRue Westerns. <laughs> and by the early to mid-60s, they were down in the southern states making moonshine movies and movies that featured uh, country western stars in the cast and movies about the racing circuit down there. And you also had, around the same time, these these really weird movies that were starting to bubble up, like out of New Orleans, you had a TV horror host who was called Morgus the Magnificent, and they made a feature film called The Wacky World of Dr. Morgus. In Atlanta, Georgia, you had this TV host who went by the name of Bastoink Dooley, and he made a movie called The Legend of Blood Mountain, which was sort of a proto- Bigfoot movie. It's not really a Bigfoot, but there's this local mountain that's actually called Blood Mountain. And in the film, there's this beast that's rumored to live there that appears every so many years and has to claim victims. And in the movie, it sort of looks like, you know, a cheap knockoff of an H.P. Lovecraft creature. So that's one line. And I mentioned that line, Josh, because these TV hosts like Morgus the Magnificent out of New Orleans and Bestoink Dooley out of Atlanta, Georgia, that's a they came out of uh, regional television. Charles B. Pierce, the man whose first feature film was The Legend of Boggy Creek, he worked with some of these regional TV stations, including one of the New Orleans stations. Charles Pierce had heard about local reports of some sort of a skunk ape or Bigfoot-like creature in Texarkana, which is where Charles Pierce and his family were based. And Charles Pierce, like TV hosts like Morgus, who was also a weatherman, and Bestowing Dooley, who also had an afternoon kids' TV show as well as a, a weekend late-night shock theater-type show. Uh, Chuck Pierce had, had been the host of some kiddie TV show for the Texarkana markets. People like Pierce were beginning to make their first feature films. The other line, movies that were very popular at this time, and these are the kind of films I remember seeing advertised on TV, Josh, were these wildlife adventure movies, uh, Savage Wild. And, you know, what they were essentially sort of a 1960s and early 70s low-budget version of the Walt Disney wildlife adventure movies that had been popular for a time in the in the 50s. And these were movies that were usually produced out of the Pacific Northwest or filmed in Alaska. A lot of the production companies that were making these wildlife adventure movies were based out of Utah and Oregon. And what they would do is they would move into an area and they would four-wall the theaters, which was an industry term for you rented the movie theater space. The movie theater proprietor kept the money they earned at the concessions for popcorn and soda, but the distributor was renting all four walls of the theater and keeping what was earned at the box office, hence the term four wall. And these kind of movies would come in and they'd play for like three to five days tops, and then they were gone. And they would blanket advertise in the regional TV market. And that's what we were seeing up here in Vermont, in New England. And Legend of Boggy Creek sort of was the collision of those two genres, Josh. It was this wild, this family-friendly wildlife adventure movie, but it had a monster. <laughs> and it was the first one of those southern-based regional monster movies presented itself as being a documentary, as being real life. The innovation that Charles Pierce brought to it. He was the first guy to go, oh, I'll make a monster movie that's not about traveling to some faraway place like Skull Island or the Black Lagoon. I'm going to make a wildlife adventure movie about this mysterious form of wildlife, the Boggy Creek Monster. What was it about that time? Because I remember this movie came out a little bit before I existed. What was yeah, it? Yeah, 72 that... is when it came out. Yeah, yeah. I, I was still negative three. What, okay. What hit so hard? Because this movie made so much money. What was it in America it that made money. it hit? It, it, well, you know, I think it was that these little regional movies could play all over the country. I think it hit big because public was hungry for something different. I think it hit big because it was rated G in an era when most of the horror and monster films were rated M, which later became GP and then became PG, and most of them were R. And I think it hit big because there hadn't been a Bigfoot movie yet. I mean, it really was the first of its kind. 
you know, I, I can I can refer you to some of the movies that predated it that had a Bigfoot element in it. It was really the beginning of you know the whole Bigfoot movie phenomenon, and it was certainly the one the first one that hit big. Why did it hit big? Boy, I don't know. You know, those TV ads would come on. You'd hear in the clips like these people were ordinary people. The movies like Legend of Boggy Creek played well up here in New England because even though we're not Southerners, we don't have Southern accents, you'd see that little 30-second movie clip on TV at late night, and it caught your fancy. Like, oh, this is a movie about ordinary people. Ordinary people crossing paths with something inexplicable. That was compelling in and of itself. They also did a really good job getting it into theaters and letting it play long enough for word of mouth to spread. I saw it in Barrie, Vermont at the Paramount Theater. I saw it opening night, which would have been a Friday. The audience went bananas at the end of that movie during the whole set piece involving a family, two couples actually, each of whom had kids, in a house, suddenly being besieged by this inexplicable hairy creature outside the house. And the part that made everybody scream, and the audiences did scream at the time, however lame it looks to people in 2018, camera is outside a bathroom window, and the, and one of the uh, characters, uh, one of the men, goes into the bathroom and sits down on the toilet. You don't see the toilet, but you know he's sitting down to use the bathroom, and suddenly the creature's at the window, and the guy bolts out of the bathroom with his pants halfway down. That hit people in a way no monster movie had before. <laughs> <laughs> and the audiences screamed. And when they went home, they didn't talk about, you know, the hour that it took to get to that set piece. They talked about that scene and that everybody screamed and that kids like me want to go see it. It really did phenomenally well in 1972. It didn't do as well as some of the later Sun International movies. Sun I was, was going to bring them up, yeah, because uh, Sun yeah, International they, really the, hit that market, didn't they? They really hit that market, but 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 that market, when you and I say that, wasn't Bigfoot movies per se. Sun International looked at that whole genre of family-friendly wildlife movies, and they went, we're going to perfect this model. And one of their, uh, one of their honchos, a guy named Charles Sellier Jr., appeared again and again in the newspaper articles. If you go back and look up Sun International claiming he had a computer and he could perfectly chart the audience demographics. Like they tagged that blue collar family that only went to the movies once or twice a year. And he wanted to make movies that they were going to go to. So they looked at The Legend of Boggy Creek and they went, wow, that, you know, for a little low budget regional movie, that made a lot of money, but we're going to make more money. And they did. They like doubled the box office on Legend of Boggy Creek when they snapped up a TV special that was called Monsters, Myths, or Mysteries. And it was narrated by Rod Serling. It was a one hour special that was broadcast on Thanksgiving night in 1975. Sun International looked at that special and where every other studio went, oh, it was on TV. It was the top-rated documentary on television ever up to that point in time. And where the other studios would go, well, 10 million people already saw it. We're not going to bother with it. Sun International went, all right, we're going to buy that movie. We're going to add a half hour to it. And we're going to release it theatrically. And that was the film they released as, it had two titles. They originally released it as Bigfoot, the Mysterious Monster. And then they got sued by one of those little Pacific Northwest companies that had released a shorter film called Bigfoot. They changed the title to The Mysterious Monsters. And they made over $70 million with that movie, playing it around the country, market by market. And that really was the peak hit of that kind of movie in terms of box office take. Whenever I think of Sun International or Sun Classics, as they later became known, I actually... Well, yeah, they interchangeably use both yeah. names, yeah. I actually tend to think of their, I know it's not part of this episode, but their UFO stuff. They really went hard on the 70s UFO ancient, astro ancient astronauts thing, even going so far as actually, making Hangar 18 at one point in 1980. Well, yeah, Hang Hangar 18 was toward the end of their run, and actually Hangar 18 was one of the last movies that, um, that uh, Sun Classics handled before they changed hands and were bought up. They made their big money on uh, Grizzly Adam, okay? They made bigger money on Grizzly Adams and movies like that than they ever made off UFOs. But I understand why you connected with them. I mean, they, they bought the German documentary based on Chariot of the Gods, 
And they released it in America with a dubbed soundtrack, made a bundle off of Charity of the Gods. And that was sort of the beginning of their borderline UFO stuff. But their big, their big claim to fame in the 70s, Josh, were those wilderness family and, you know, adventures of Grizzly Adams. And they, in fact, produced that Grizzly Adams TV show that um, Dan Haggerty starred in. That was their real bread and butter with those family, you know, it would be like family pioneers or the back to the wilderness thing only was filtered through this Church of Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ Mormon sensibility. It was a real conservative right-wing form of grassroots filmmaking, populist filmmaking. Man, they hit that. They they hit almost every one of them out of the park. And by the time they got the Hangar 18, it was done. I mean, they, they'd had their run. Nobody was four-walling movies anymore. But it all started in terms of the genre you and I love with Legend of Boggy Creek. What Charles B. Pierce did was kickstart that whole genre. Well, let's not just talk about Boggy Creek. There are, like, lots of other cryptids out there. And I would even go so far as to add, because the definition of the cryptid is a, a creature or species of creature whose existence is contested. I would think werewolves, vampires would go in into that. You know, the, the mermen, I mean, humanoids from the deep. That could technically be a cryptid film. Well, sure. I mean, let, let's look at it. Uh, let's look at it two way. There are cryptids, and and this is part of what I'm struggling with with these with the with the the books that I've been writing. And the first one came out back in November. That was the first volume of Cryptid Cinema, and it's a pretty scattershot book. I'm trying to lay down the where's the boundaries. And you're right, uh, the the Beast of Bray Road is the latest short feature coming out from Seth Breedlove and the Small Town Monsters crew who've been doing terrific work. You know, one they're most of their documentaries are between 50 minutes and an hour, and the one that's about to come out is essentially a true life American werewolf movie if you will. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of gray area there like does this mean that movies that feature fairy tale ogres and dragons and cyclops and rocks and krakens and sea serpents, do those count as cryptids? I don't know. Mer people certainly count. In fact, Lauren Coleman, America's great living cryptozoologist, publishing a book pretty soon about mermaids and mer people. And that would mean, okay, if that's a cryptid, then we got to go all the way back to the Georges Melier films, all the way up to Splash and so on. But I would also argue that cryptids would include fictional cryptids, okay? Within the narrative of King Kong, King Kong is a cryptid. They have purchased a map, will chart a course to this faraway island where there are rumors of this mythical being, this giant creature that lives on Skull Island. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Within the fictional narrative of that film, you know, the Gill Man is definitely a cryptid. And you, he's, there's, they find fossil evidence of these humanoid reptile fusions in the uh, prehistoric past, and they're going to go down and see if they can find more information, and they stumble on a living fossil. These are all cryptids. There's also cryptids, Josh, that aren't that spectacular, okay? The next cryptid cinema book that I'm doing early next year, the book I should have written first, it's about the history of the early cryptid cinema up to 1972. Uh, using Legend of Boggy Creek as like the landmark where I'm stopping the narrative. Half those Jungle Jim movies that Johnny Weissmuller starred in feature cryptids. I'd say a third to half of the old Tarzan movies feature cryptids. They'll have some sort of mysterious animal that suddenly pops up. You know, Tarzan and Boy are walking along and suddenly we see the film clips from 1 million BC of giant dinosaurs that are actually tegu lizard and a dwarf alligator with a rubber fin on its back going at each other the lost world i mean that's by sir arthur conan doyle is one of the classics of cryptid fiction the idea that there are living dinosaurs what naturalist and cryptozoologist ivan t sanderson would refer to as neo dinosaurs these living fossils so cryptids are everywhere in cinema what's interesting is after i read david coleman's terrific book the bigfoot filmography that McFarland published well over a decade ago is when I started to piece this together. And I realized if we look at certain films from the history of horror and science fiction and fantasy film, they really are cryptid films. They are about these unidentified creatures that live either amongst us or in some faraway exotic realm that we have to go to. But the ones that interest me most are the ones that are Americans, the ones that are about things that cohabitate with us that we're not, uh, that aren't identified as yet, that we're not aware of. 
Okay, then I guess the the final question would be, what is the best way to view a cryptid film? Is it in a serious manner, or there are lots oh, that, no, have that, fun. that that are well? I'm just I mean like really. Good. There's a a movie that just came out last year called Sask Watch S A S Q Dash Watch that is all about Bigfoot. He he likes to pants people and take your toothbrushes at night and stick it up his butt and put it back and stuff. And I'm like, eh, are you going to be serious watching that one? <laughs> I, I, I I tried to think it was funny, but it wasn't. <laughs> but but it's like, no, w- w- but- what's the best kind of cryptid cinema? Something like Creature from the Black Lagoon that takes the subject matter seriously, or something like Sasquatch that's just like this is dumb. Well, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue on behalf of Sasquatch, which I haven't seen as yet. I don't, you know, I, the 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 newest one I have in hand. In fact, it just came in the mail today because I don't get AMC. Is uh, the Terror first season of the the TV series The Terror, which I believe Ridley Scott produced. You know, this is a cryptid. This is a piece of cryptid cinema set during the 19th century, it looks like. This is a dead serious piece of genre work, and I look forward to seeing that. I'm going to watch that with a very different... I don't, I don't have expectations when I go to a movie or a TV show, Josh, which I guess is why I tend to have more fun than some people do. You know, I'm going to watch this probably in a different state of mind than I had when I went in into a theater two weeks ago and caught The Meg, you know, the, the new giant shark movie. That's a cryptid movie. You know, megalodons, as far as we know, don't actually exist in the ocean. So what's the best way to watch them? I'd say relax and enjoy it. If it's a serious film, uh, then go on that ride and, and enjoy it as as a serious per, piece of work. My favorite movie from last year was The Shape of Water. I thought that was a terrific movie. It's also the first monster movie, I think, in my life that my wife enjoyed as much as I did. So I had a really good time. But I also, you know, I love sitting down and watching a piece of shit. Bigfoot movie. I, I got a whole rack of them over here that I'm that I've been uh, screening, working on the books, and I enjoy even the worst of them. I mean, I, I'm an advocate of um, teenagers meet the thing, super low budget, one hour movie that was shot in uh, the Ivanpah, California, back in somewhere between 1958 and 1960, and most people know it under the TV title Curse of Bigfoot. I, I'm not going to tell you it's a good movie, Josh, and you would. Slap me up the side of the head if you could reach me through the phone. If I did tell you it was a good movie, but I've watched it more than once and I enjoy it. Just as this artifact of a young, just out of his teenage years filmmaker going, hey, I'm going to get some people together and make a movie. I enjoy it. It's a movie I like. It's not good, (laughs) but... I have fun with it. And you know, you're not going to watch, you're not going to sit down and watch something like The Shape of Water with the same, same headset that you'd be watching William Deere's Carrie and the Hendersons, that you'd be watching uh, Snow Devils, Antonio Margarita's science fiction space Yeti movie from the 60s. Uh, you know, I take them all as they come. I try to take them on their own terms. Well, you mentioned the book. Where can people pick up the book if they would like to? Okay. Well, much as I uh, am not a fan of Amazon, I am uh, an old man, and I looked at all the distribution on the planet, and the largest distributor on the planet is Amazon. That's where you can pick up Cryptid Cinema. Titled S.R. Bissett's Cryptid Cinema, Meditations on Bigfoot, Bayou Beasts, and Backwoods Boogeyman of the Movies. And it's a collection of essays that um, I did for Monster magazine and that's spelled m-o-n-s-t-e-r apostrophe and i still write for monster i'm in every issue and the second cryptid cinema book which uh your listeners will be able to pick up either around christmas of this year or january of next year will be called uh, cryptid cinema boggy creek bequest and that'll also be available via amazon so when it comes to cryptid cinema if if we're talking to our audience what what ones do you recommend? Not just Big Feet movies. What what cryptid movies do you recommend? Personally, like, I'm going to go with Creature from the Black Lagoon. I, I, as I discussed with Steven, I'm not sure if Humanoids from the Deep counts because there was, you know, waste. Not, not toxic waste, but waste involved. But it was also implied in the movie that, that they were natural creatures that are just pissed off that we're screwing up their oceans and they want to rape our women. Mm. I don't know about that. Like, what what ones do you recommend? There's a lot of crap in this genre. L- l- oh, let's, there's just l- tons l- of crap. There's, yeah. there's also there's also a lot of lot of hidden gems as well. I mean, obviously, Legend 
Legend of Boggy Creek is an obvious one. I, th- I think if you want to see a really good example of found footage movie mixed with a mockumentary, mixed with a solid horror film as well, that'd be a great one to start with. As far as the more modern ones and sort of the, the cheesier B-movie direct-to-video kind of stuff, I was actually thinking about which one to recommend, and I, I would have to recommend the latest one from 2018, Big Legend. I actually really, I didn't, I did not expect to enjoy that one as much as I did. It had a, had an appearance from Adrian Barbeau in it. Um, got Lance Henriksen showing up at some point. The lead in the film was quite good. The story, though simple, gets, gets along really quickly. Um, it establishes who the character is. Within about 15 or so minutes of, of screen time, he's back in the wilderness. He's backpacking. He's, tracking Bigfoot, so to speak, and I, I found the pace to be to be good. It had a good um set the mood well. I, I felt like it it really set you up for a good uh finale of, of this guy surviving against uh against Bigfoot and Bigfoot himself looked quite cool. Um it had some good tense moments. So I would recommend that even though it's brand spanking new, I, I would consider it to be one of the better Bigfoot movies that I've seen in a long time. And I, and to to put it like in more of a brief way, it's it's kind of like a Bigfoot predator movie, it, it's especially like the last last half hour or so. Kind of kind of feel that way, and I I feel like that that actually works pretty well for the character, like a survival horror kind of thing, where it's just one man in the wilderness pitted against this this beast that's kind of watching him at all times and sort of toying with him. I really enjoyed that one. So th- those those two would be for me. Legend of Boggy Creek is a classic, and Big Legend as one that. I, in my opinion, could potentially become a cult classic down the line, much like uh, Boggy Creek did. And see, I'm going to go in a different direction. Now, I I haven't seen this movie since 2002 when it came out, but I remember the Mothman prophecies really creeping me the hell out at the time. um, That's one I almost recommended but i mean i i think i'll just go with bigfoot for mine but yeah that that one gets a recommendation for me too that's a solid movie if you really want to mess with a friend if they've never seen mothman prophecies before lo- loan them your dvd of it know when they're going to watch it like oh you know you're going to go watch this when you get home and then call them like a half hour into the movie and freak them the hell out because the phone call is a scary part of the movie freak them the hell out when they're watching this just call them on the phone <laughs> just if you want to mess with a friend we both mentioned Boggy Creek, Legend of Boggy Creek with the folk monster. I, I do want to put a little warning out there for people. If you've never seen Legend of Boggy Creek, this is a weird one, though, isn't it? Because It is. Because, like, the beginning of it, it really is like a backwoods shit kicker reality show sort of thing shot on 35 mm. millimeter. The good stuff comes later, but at the same time, you can see how people are not maybe going to get into that first half hour sometimes. You, you know? need to. So it's it's definitely kind of a sit. I I feel like I feel like the way it starts establishes it well. Like I think it works with the material that's being worked with. I could see some people being a little put off by it, but the overall aesthetic works for me. It's it's just it's kind of a movie you not necessarily you don't necessarily need to be patient with it. You just need to realize that. It's building up to something really good. And and the few glimpses we get of the monster are actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. No, it's excellent, especially for the time. What do you prefer? A sort of more grounded, realistic cryptid where you can kind of go, okay, I can see how this Bigfoot or, or this, you know, Mothman or whatever is creeping around the Pacific Northwest and hasn't been caught. Or something more outrageous, something more like, you know, a giant monster that all of a sudden... Wake, you know, some sort of HP Lovecraft creature that's been laying dormant for a million years wakes up and starts wrecking a city. Mm. Wh- which, which sort of cryptid would you prefer? I like both. I think they both have their place, but I definitely find more of the grounded approach to be creepier. Something that's managed to stay hidden, maybe has, still has its own species kind of lurking around. It's been mating with other cryptids and they're in different parts of the world, especially in movies where you don't see much of it. Like you, you catch little, little glimpses of it here and there out of the corner of your eye, um, in the character's peripheral. And then at the end, you maybe see a little bit 
more of it. I definitely find that to be more effective if, if you want to make it scary. But there's also nothing wrong with the whole H.P. Lovecraft lying dormant and coming up from the sea or whatever kind of thing. That in itself is is fucking terrifying too when you when you sit back and really think about the gravity of that. Like this thing has always been there, and just the idea of thinking about that, like it's 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 been there the, the whole time. That's that's pretty freaky in and of itself, even if it's more of like a grander scale, grandiose kind of epic monster thing. It's scary in its own way, but I, I definitely prefer more of the, the subtle grounded approach as far as if you want to add like some, some genuine tension into something. Well, speaking of that, you've got stuff like the Godzilla movies. All these different creatures would really be cryptids, wouldn't they? All, you know, I mean, Godzilla is supposed to be ra- radiation, so not Godzilla himself, but Mothra, Rodan, Ghidorah before he becomes all techno King Ghidorah mm. and all that. These are cryptids, aren't they? Kind of, yeah. They're, they're the cryptids of the Toho Godzilla universe. They've, they've kind of, they're, they're supposed to have been things that have always, uh, always been around. So yeah, that, that, that counts in a, in a way. Like, like Godzilla is definitely more of a bombastic look into something like that, but I, I think it still counts to a degree. King Kong is definitely a cryptid. I, th- th- that's where I was going to go next. You beat me to it. Yeah. King Kong is possibly the ultimate cryptid film if you really think about well, it. He's just a these legends giant version and, of Bigfoot. He, well, he's, he's just a, a giant monkey. Ape. Well, he's a giant ape. But giant I mean, ape, yeah. a, a, not just King Kong himself, but Skull Island. You've got the dinosaurs and these giant insects and and all and you know the, the pterodactyls and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So no, I think King Kong the movie, the 1933 film, might actually be the first first real cryptid film even if it wasn't thought of like that i mean sure there were there were probably you know there were silent films before that but king kong is the benchmark really when you think about it it's it's definitely more of um it's it's like an epic kind of version of it where it's like this island of mysterious monsters and stuff that have been that have been living out of our eyesight for god knows how long but it's a really cool idea that it's like there's this huge ape and there's a t-rex and there's big bugs and like all this stuff it's it's a really really cool look at uh at the idea of this whole cryptid kind of thing i i really i really enjoy the idea of that quite a bit and kong skull island was pretty good too the newest one i i found that more entertaining than i thought i would skull island i like i actually liked the 76 remake for i mean you know it's got a lot of problems but i liked it for what it was although the three-hour tv version fills in so many of the plot holes Mm. why they will not release that version to dvd i don't know yeah oh man peter jackson screwed his version up so bad yeah that one really felt uh i don't know it felt wanky dick wanky felt like he was sucking his own dick for two and a half hours is what it felt like also jack black who the fuck approved that Although Naomi Watts was pretty good in the Fay Ray role. It just but felt cryptid. too, I think the problem with the Peter Jackson one is it felt too whimsical. Oh, you, you mean the scene where they're ice skating with each other in the God. middle of New York? Just awful. You mean garbage like that? This, this Peter Jackson right off the cusp of like Lord of the Rings. Like he, he is very, very much, and rightfully so, um, full of his own shit at that time. So he, he made like, it was almost him making a, like a Steven Spielberg film or something. Yeah, it didn't feel right. It didn't no, feel no, like it was too, too schmaltzy, like. way too schmaltzy and whimsical and just not, not right for that kind of material. And, and this is us saying this when there is a movie like King Kong Lives where they try and do open heart surgery and have a giant freaking heart and you know, you've seen King Kong Lives, right? With of Linda course. Hamilton? Yeah. You know, that movie exists and I still think that's better than the Peter Jackson King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> and King Kong Lives exists. <laughs> But so when it comes to cryptid cinema, do you think this is a genre that's going away anytime soon? I don't because as I said, there are dozens of these made every couple of months. You no, see the video store shelves keep, are just packed. It's going to keep going. The, the direct to, well, it's not really direct to video anymore. It's, well, I mean, I guess if you want to go, go buy it, um, direct to video, direct to streaming on demand, Netflix originals, all of those are going to keep going. We've obviously, we're going to have a King Kong and Godzilla cinematic universe now you got the latest godzilla coming out which is going to introduce other monsters and then you're going to have another king kong and it's going to bring bring more monsters so the the cinematic universe of this sort of stuff when it comes to the blockbusters and the theatrical stuff is going to keep going as as we know it's been 
plotted out already. I mean, we also just had Meg. The Meg came out just a few months ago. So there's one. And obviously there's, there's still going to be a shit ton of these like direct-to-video ones like uh, the one I, I had mentioned, Big Legend. I'm sure there's going to be another Bigfoot movie next year or a couple months from now. So this is absolutely going to keep going because, as I said earlier, there is a deep fascination with the unknown. And with, you know, in a lot of these things, I think part of the fascination is less about the monster, whatever it you know, is, whether it's a Bigfoot or dinosaur or whatever, and more about the, we need to discover it. We yeah. need to figure out how it's still alive or you know, prove it's, its existence. Where it came from, like... You know, what era it's, era it's from, if, if it's still been living or if this is a younger one, if they're, if they're breeding, you know, that's, I think that's what makes it interesting is the, the mystery of it is like, how is this still out there? I think that that's part of what, what makes it interesting for me. And I'm pretty sure it's, it's part of what makes it interesting for everybody else. And I'm sure everybody else other than that just like it because they're also just kind of fun monster movies as well. Exactly. Where can people find the Peter, not Peter Blog? Blagovich, but Peter Gajic, if they want to see if he's a vampire. Well, obviously, uh, you, you can go in search of Gagic on uh, Twitter, at Cinematica, on, on Facebook, The Cinemasochist, YouTube, The Cinemasochist, on 1201beyond.com, where we have stuff that you should buy, not just my stuff, buy some, buy some Radiodrome shirts, buy some other shirts. And Patreon at Zinematica. Also, of course, I'm going to pimp out the, the 1201 Beyond, the Radiodrome Patreon as well. Donate to that. Just, just a buck a month and we can get some new, new equipment for sure. I actually need a new mic. My, my computer is barely recognizing the, the little, the, the plug, the port, the USB port that I'm plugging it into. I have to plug it in about six or seven times until it finally recognizes it. Cause I think the thing's like nine years old at this point. So that'd be great if you, if you would give us money. Fund, you, you, you'd also be helping funding our, our Bigfoot research. That's, that's it. Just give us, give us money, man. Give us money. We need, we need money. You can go to 1201beyond.com, as Peter said. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. And remember, go and pick up Stephen's book, Cryptid Cinema, the, the, the full title, Cryptid Cinema, Meditations on Bigfoot, Bayou Beasts, and Backwood Boogeymen of the Movies. <laughs> uh, the, the, the title's a little bit of a mouthful, but you, you'll, you'll like it. And it's well researched, and Stephen's a hell of a guy, so. And why wouldn't th- you want to buy something from a guy who co-created Swamp Thing? Some, something that could be considered, uh, the ultimate cryptid slash mutated superhero like swamp well, he, thing he, is... he didn't co-create swamp thing he helped define swamp thing ah so Le- you made him bernie wrightson and len ween created swamp thing further developed him and made him sort of kind of what we know him as now he, so he, he made he, him he did co-create john constantine though guys try to be a cut above keep one foot in the gutter one fist in the gold have a good night
bigger, tastier salmon by genetic engineering. Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.